Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, VA fam, it's Mandy here with another episode of Brown Ambition and today's conversation, y'all, I cannot wait for you to hear it. We continue to send love and lots of hugs to Tiffany and and send her all the healing and positive vibes that she could need. As always, if you guys want to send her a note of support, you can find her at the Budget Nista on all channels. We love you, Tiffany. As y'all know, I have been talking up Ruchika Tolshian ever since I was, I was turned on to her work by her viral article in the Harvard business review called Stop Telling Women That We Have Imposter Syndrome. I will put another link to that uh, that article in the show notes. But more importantly, Rochika has a new book coming out and it is truly extraordinary. I would say it's required reading for anyone in a leadership position, really for anyone in general. But if you even if you even own a teeny tiny fraction of a percentage of decisions at a company that could impact what it's like to work there for women of color, this book has to be on your reading list. It needs to be at your desk, on your desk, share it with a friend. It's called Inclusion on Purpose, an intersectional approach to creating a culture of belonging at work. It is out this month and we are joined today by the author herself, Ruchika Tolshian. Ruchika is so multifaceted. She and I share a background in business journalism, which is just one of the many connections that we that we realized we had. She also spent some time working in Atlanta, although now she is calling us from her new home for the past nine years on the West Coast in Seattle. Ruchika is an author, a keynote speaker, and she founded her own company called Candor, which is an inclusion strategy practice. As a former international business journalist, Ruchika's writing has appeared in places like the New York Times, a Harvard Business Review. And of course, her brand new book, Inclusion on Purpose, is out on shelves now. Please go pick up a copy. So today, Ruchika and I sat down to talk about the themes in her book, as well as her experience actually being a change agent going into companies as a consultant to help them figure out how to do DE&I initiatives correctly. And I mean, honestly, she and I just connected on so many levels. And I think first and foremost, our general, you know, we were generally in agreement that we can still be optimistic that there are places where we can feel included. We can feel like we have equal opportunity for success. They unfortunately are not as common as we'd all like them to be, but we realistically kind of look at what it's like to be women of color with ambition, wanting to move up in today's society, in today's world, and what it can actually take for us to get there and not get burnt out along the way. So without further ado, 
I will get out of my own way and welcome our guest today. Again, her name is Ruchika Tolshian. To find out more about Ruchika, go to inclusiononpurpose.co. And of course, check the show notes for all the links and where to find her book and find out more about her incredible work. Here's my conversation with Ruchika. All right, VA fam, I have been talking about today's guest for what feels like weeks, and I am so excited to finally be sitting across virtually from who a woman who I feel like you kind of know when you're immediately going to connect with someone and just you have the same philosophy about life. You kind of you kind of see things through a similar lens. And within the first 10 pages of reading her brand new book, Inclusion on Purpose, I was just like, I Rachika has to be on Brown Ambition, and we have to be friends, and it's going to happen, and this is all happening. And Ruchika Tolshian is actually here. Hello. Hello, Mandy. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. And you actually are aware of Brown Ambition, which is extraordinary to me. It tells me we are branding ourselves correctly. If you found us, that is what we want. (laughs) You are. And I just want to say that it is it's a really lonely endeavor to be a brown entrepreneur, right and build a business, Um, a brown and black entrepreneur, and, you know, essentially, part of a demographic that is often, you know, really overlooked and under sponsored and underestimated and underfunded. And knowing that there's a community out there building, you know, through really, really, like tall hardship is like, I mean, what more can you need, right? So please know that the community you're building is really very special and so necessary. And of course, it's my pleasure and honor to be here. And of course, um, in preparation of this interview, when I when I listened to Stacey Abrams interview, that was that was like a very <laughs> special, meaningful experience. I mean, firstly, is there anything this person cannot do, right? Like just nope. Uh, like just amazing, thing. but also <laughs> so thoughtful and insightful. The way the questions you asked her and her co-author, Heather, I mean, it was just, you did such a good job, Mandy. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And what I love about you, I actually listened to your interview with Brene Brown, you and your friend and fellow colleague, Jody Ann Burry. Is that correct? Bury. Jody Ann Burry. Yeah. Jody M. Bury, excellent work. I'm also trying to get her on Brown Ambition. So if you want to text her, she's probably Absolutely. snowboarding or something. But yes. I'm like, Jody Ann, get on the show. Oh my gosh, I will um, text her right away. Of course. No, but this is the Ruchika show, so we're gonna focus on you. Tell okay. me about this book. Well, first let me tell you my first my first um, reaction to reading the book was I was so grateful to it because a part of my story, which if you've listened to Brian Ambition, you know, I spent five years in a senior leadership position managing a team. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily a Google or an Amazon, but it was a relatively big fintech company. And I just remember when I, you know, got that job at like 28, 29, feeling this real sense of responsibility, like, I can't fuck this up. I'm a black woman in charge. I get to hire people. I get to review resumes. I'm going to try to do it. The ex- I'm going to try to do things right. I'm going to try to use my little, you know, corner of influence, my little, you know, my little zone of influence and take small incremental steps toward making this company more inclusive without even telling them. I didn't tell them. I was like a covert operator. Like, oh, there's going to be some black women in this team and, uh, you know, all that. And what I love about your book is that it really feels like it was written for people in places of power and not necessarily to women of color. We already know it's hard. We already know 
how challenging it can be. And when you were approaching this book, I mean, I know that's so much of what you talk about. You have a firm where you consult and provide trainings to corporations. But talk to me about intentionally speaking to the people who have the power about this issue. Yeah, this was actually a very complicated, um, you know, especially when this book was in proposal stage, it was really complicated because what happens is when you're um, shopping a book proposal around is you need to have a really clear idea of, and you need to literally state like, who are you trying to reach out to? And for me, it was everyone, you know, I really, I wanted women of color to be able to see this and feel seen and read it and feel validated because in, honestly, every author in some way, shape or form writes the book that they needed and didn't have. And that's how I felt when I um, even conceptualized the idea of inclusion on purpose, which by the way, only came to light because a woman of color agent reached out to me years ago and said, hey, I read this one article you wrote um, on Harvard Business Review. It was not a viral article. It was not like the, you know, imposter syndrome one, which I, I feel so proud to co-author with Jodi Ann. But it was a very, it was, it was an article that was very meaningful to me about corporate diversity efforts, leaving out women of color. And she reached out to me and she's like, have you thought about writing a book, another book, a traditionally published one? Do you have an agent? And I was like, no, of course not. Like, I haven't, no, I don't know. Me, really? I mean, what what could I contribute to this? But you'd already published a book before. So you independently published your first book. Essentially, yeah. So I, I, w I was blogging for okay. Forbes and they were um, trying to, they were essentially, um, you know, experimenting with an ebook platform. And so the diversity advantage was part of that, but not at all a traditional publishing process by any means. No agent, no, you know, which of course is a mistake, by the way. For anyone listening, if you are planning to publish a book in any way, shape or form, whether even if you publish, eventually decide to publish independently um, and self-publish, it's always a good idea to at least talk to an agent. Um, anyway, so that me. was- <laughs> uh, That's me. I'm your audience right now. Keep talking. <laughs> oh, and I'm, you know, and I'm happy to, I, I, by the way, when I was done with my book proposal, I sent it to a lot of people. I sent it specifically to women of color. I said, use what you need from this, do what you want with it. I mean, don't put it on the internet, but you know, however it can help, please, because we have to pass the word on, we need to support each other. But, mm. um, so back to this article, I mean, you know, back to this agent, she reaches out, she's like, do you want to write this book? And I'm like, mm, okay, I guess. And then as it started coming to life, and I thought about who I want this book to be for, I really wanted it to be for everyone. I wanted it to be, again, for women of color, um, validating our experience, because, you know, we experienced so much of gaslighting, experienced so much of you know, that was, that wasn't at all what happened. That wasn't my intention. Like what matters is my intention was good. So I'm sorry that I, you know, be, behaved in a way that you found to be biased or racist yeah. or sexist, but that wasn't my intention. So it was, it was like that really hard to balance both worlds off. How do you write a book that validates the experiences of women of color, which I really hope, um, you know, when women of color read the book, and again, not a monolith, but when women of color, brown and black women read the book, they feel, okay, I feel seen. That wasn't just in my head. I tried specifically to seek out examples of, um, you know, where it wasn't like a horrific example where it would be like a legal case or whatever it is, which obviously is very important. But I was trying to find those very subtle, under the table, 
um, slights and biases and, you know, what we commonly know as microaggressions, although in the book I talk about why I don't like that word, but those, those everyday ways of how it shows up and you feel slighted. So I wanted to capture that. And then I also, yes, absolutely wanted to talk to people in power and leadership and, you know, positions of influence and privilege, because at the end of the day, this should never be our problem to solve. Not even close. If anyone, if you're if you're worried about anyone feeling seen, all you have to do is read the foreword of the book by um, Ijeoma Oluma. Is that how you say? Ulo. See, you realize I read and I do not say things out loud enough, and I really ought to not do that. But the foreword of this book, I mean, that whole that that that's what grabbed me, and I was like. Oh, so we're going to go there. Yeah, I and you 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 do. I mean, the book really can be for anyone, but what I love is it holds the people who have the power accountable. And I'm curious, t- well tell me a little bit about your work. So you've launched this consulting firm for how long now? And tell me about what you do and what has been some of the feedback you've gotten from people in power and leadership at company who so often, you know, don't look like us as mm. to why things take so long for them to get it together. If you can Mm. comment on that, that'd be great. Oh my gosh. Well, firstly, when you talked about how you were at a fintech company, it took me right back to really what launched my work in diversity, equity, and inclusion well before it was trendy. And about a decade ago, I was at a tech company and it was a very, very painful and lonely experience i in that in that company i was the only woman of color in my department um i felt very hyper visible and invisible at the same time which you know academic research shows is very much the experience of women of color when we're the only the first one of the few the different um as shonda rhimes calls us the fod's so i uh Wait, what's I had fod's a, fod first only different oh right okay that's, that's so, awesome. Yeah. And you're right. It um, is hyper. It's like I, that, that even what you just said, it's like the same thing. You feel hyper visible and invisible at the same time. Hyper visible. For me, it was like hyper visible when I screwed something up, like mm-hmm. everyone was going to know and I was going to be, you know, whatever held back by it. And then invisible when the fun stuff came along is how it oh, felt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very painful, very lonely. And I think exacerbated by the fact that our laws and our, you know, the way HR operates, and, you know, I'm so glad you brought up Ijeoma's Forward, which, by the way, was just, I mean, when I read it, I had chills, I had tears. Um, I didn't, you know, and I went with Ebit Press as an academic publisher, you know, by sort of tradition. So I didn't curse in the book. And, you know, I wrote to my editor, I was like, hi, so it says the sh- list. And I know, you know, and, and, and <laughs> just right. in general, in my own writing, I don't really curse. So I was like, what is, can we keep this in? Because I think it's really necessary. And she's like, yeah, given that there was a literal list. Yes. So I mean, I've lost like, I've lost my train of thought. But yeah, it's a very, it's a very painful, lonely existence. Um, and often you don't know where you can turn. And one of the reasons why I then, you know, I went through this experience, I quit, I leaped into entrepreneurship, didn't know what was coming, 
had somewhat of a safety net because I'd been saving. And then I also, you know, I, I'm, I'm married to a spouse who works in tech, who worked at, continues to work in tech. So I could take that leap in a way that I know that for so many women of color I've spoken to since, and even for the book, it's very, very tough. Um, and I acknowledge my privilege being able to do that. And, um, as I as I got into consulting, also completely in a, inadvertently, it wasn't planned. Um, at that time, there was no real language around diversity, equity, and inclusion that was really meaningfully being heard, right? There were those really big vendors that would get these big contracts with these big companies, and they would do a sort of check-the-box exercise. They'd be like compliance and legal, which, yeah. you know, of course, I'm not a lawyer, so... There was that, and then there was me over here trying to say there needs to be more. There has to be more to address the more subtle but very harmful behaviors that we are seeing day in and day out that I'm hearing about, that I experience, that I'm researching about. And so when I launched Candor, and it's not very old, I you know I incorporated Candor, um, my consulting firm, in 2017. So it's actually not even that old. I did it when my child was less than a year old. And I really, in many ways, just did it because I was like, well, I, I'll, I'll go back into some sort of like a corporate space eventually, right? Like I'm trained as a journalist. Maybe I'll just take a few more years off. Maybe I'll do a couple of like short projects, probably not going to make a lot of money and then go back into something more full time. And maybe it was the moment, maybe it was the timing, maybe it was the fact that we reached this point of no return after the 2016 elections, but something just switched um, for me and in many ways, I think, for a lot more corporate leaders. So the conversations I was starting to happen, you know, even before 2017, but really since 2017 was more corporate leaders saying, I, I see that there's a problem. Like I'm really seeing it now. And even if I want to make a change, I don't know how, I don't know where to get started. Um, many, many folks had really good intentions, but did not really think about the impact or care about the impact or have words to talk about the impact that they were having on women of color, especially black and brown women. And I think um, that's that led me to want to write this book. You know, I started doing it through my other writing. I explored through all my other writing, I was really exploring this, this reality that was so clear to me that for women of color, the workplace was so different than the experience of white women in the workplace. And I never thought that there would be appetite for it. And the fact that there is, it, you know, it's, it really is remarkable right now. Yeah, you mentioned your launch into entrepreneurship, and I'm kind of nodding my head because I just launched my own entrepreneurial journey this past summer. Yeah, I know it hasn't even been a year yet. I'm just a, I'm a newborn entrepreneur. And I too had privilege, you know, I, I had squirreled away money. And I, I had to ask myself, you know, what was it all for if I can't just dive off this cliff and see what happens, you know, and then my husband, who I've talked about, he's my he's my health, he's my health insurance card. Same here. Same yeah, here, by uh, the way. isn't it nice? It is nice. <laughs> Although I tell women really all the time, you know, there's the healthcare marketplace. You can make it happen. You but can. let's let's talk about entrepreneurship because I mean, you also share this stat in the book, which I want to pull up really quickly. And th there's a couple of different um, stats, also, you know, other data that has shown that 
women of color are just the fatigue. And, and I'm I'm imagining two big factors are 2016 election and the summer of 2020, just mm-hmm. sort of culminated in the sense of like, get us out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. Get us out of this place. We're so tired of it. And what I um, what I feel like is happening is right at the point when companies are finally almost getting it and starting to invest more in these initiatives, for a lot of us, it's it's like too little too late. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I want to get your take on that because I have found, I have a group coaching cohort called the Mandy Moneymakers. I'm, I'm, I, my eighth week is this week. My, my first yeah. cohort is done and I'm 24 amazing women of color. Um, we're in this first cohort and we had, um, I don't know if it was last week, week before I talked all about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship and how to be entrepreneurial at work and how that benefited my career. And I remember one of the, a couple of times, um, one of my, one of my makers was like, but Mandy, like you left corporate America. Is there no hope? And I feel deeply that there is hope, but yet I'm also like, "Mm, for me, the story was a little bit over, but how do you, how do you, how do you sort of respond to those questions? Because I'm with you. I do believe that there's good intentions out there that people are willing to change and want to change and create a a better place for women of color to work. But what, but I also grapple with for some of us who's too little too late. Yeah. Go in and get out girl. Take your talent elsewhere. Two things can be, can be true. What, what do you feel about that? You're, I mean, literally what you said, two things can be true. And I've met a lot of people who are in corporate environments where they have felt supported and seen and heard. They may not have always felt that way, but they're in a place, they've landed in a place where they do feel that way. They feel really, um, they get a lot of meaningful joy out of the work that they do, the team that they interact with. They want to be part of like a bigger picture within an organization. And I for, for a while, that was me. I really did feel that way. I was very excited and energized by the work I was doing, what became far too much to bear, far too toxic in the long run, you know, and I, and this was even before I had a child, I cannot believe, but I cannot imagine what it would have felt like to come home to a child with some of the toxicity I was dealing with at that time. And how could I really be present as a person, as a human being, as a mom, as a caretaker? But I, but I think for some people, they really like that environment. They really, I mean, you know, they like the work they do. They find it to be meaningful entrepreneurship is not for everyone, right? And I actually think that there's a specific type of person in my sort of group of friends who are entrepreneurs and the people I admire. Like you do have to be really ready to take that risk, right? It is mm-hmm. it is risky. And whether it's because you have a safety net or whether it's because there's some other reason, but that risk is a very big part of it. And I hate that for women of color who may not want to take that risk, for whom they know entrepreneurship is not the way forward, when they feel compelled to make that leap because they're having such a terrible experience in the workplace, they're experiencing racism and bias and sexism and misogyny and all of those things, I really wish that there was a better way. And that's why I can't think of a more urgent you know, leadership sort of quality, trait, priority, call it what you want, um, then, then inclusion, right? Then yeah. really focusing and prioritizing what are people who have historically been marginalized, left out, overlooked, underestimated? What are they feeling? What are they going through? How can I use my privilege to change that experience so that we retain this amazing, innovative, 
ambitious. That's the part that always gets, I feel like it gets hidden, but the data is so clear. Women of color, and this is like women of color, we know not a monolith across, you know, categories, which demographics, et cetera. Women of color are consistently far more ambitious than our white counterparts, our white women counterparts. So the fact that we are leaving, the fact that we are not getting the support and the, um, you know, yeah, support and, and sponsorship and funding that we need, we're getting underpaid, we're getting overlooked. It just, it really breaks my heart because the opportunity in my mind is endless to retain and to promote women of color who are ambitious, who are not, you know, who are not leaving for the reasons that our media keeps banding about, you know, they, they, as soon as they become moms, they want to leave. I mean, the data around women of color does not show that. Oh, please. As soon as we become moms, I wanted nothing. I wanted nothing (laughs) more than to go back to work. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Maternity leave was not good for me mentally. No, No, it wasn't for me either. Yes. And these are the stories, these are the stories I don't hear. Right. Mm-hmm. The stories I hear in the media in this is why your work is so important, because what I hear is like you, you know, you feel so shameful and it's so terrible. And you're like, you know, it's it's so hard to have to go back to work and all of that. And I think of uh, women of color whom for and this is why specifically in my book, I did not have a chapter around women of color and caregiving, because I said our realities are so different. And they're also varied. It's so nuanced that you can't capture it in one book. But, um, you know, for a lot of women of color, we've not had that luxury of choice. Like we've not had that luxury. You know, many of us have ancestors and family and friends who've had to go back right after giving birth right? Because of the lack of social structures in this country, um, where there wasn't that privilege of choice. Yeah. And I think even more so, if you are lucky enough, like I was to have paid parental leave, which Mm -hmm. is just not, it's astonishing to me (laughs) that in this country, we still are like one of a handful that don't offer it. But um, I almost felt like I need to get back. I need to get back. I'm missing out. And mm-hmm. I think that's also that the, 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 you know, why we call the show Brown Ambition is because you understand that it's really, you know, sometimes people have so such low expectations for us when we walk in the room. It's really criminal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I feel like we overcompensate. We ratchet up our expectations on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, and now we got to go. And, you know, it's not like people are necessarily thinking, when's this person going to come back or whatnot? But we know that. We have to seize every opportunity we have to make an impact so that we can keep going. And I get it, like that sense of fatigue. And especially with my with my makers, um, talking to them week in and week out, several, you know, there's been people, you know, women are really getting emotional and it is exhausting, the, the labor of all of this. I want to talk to you a little bit about, I know your book very much is about inclusive practices in business and, and among leaders, which is incredible, but you know, for anyone listening who's struggling with that type of fatigue, um, mm. talk talk about some like coping mechanisms for that, mm. and, and you know, and it's not always the the right the right approach um, for better or worse is not always to go to HR and air it out because it may oh, not gosh. be resolved. It may not no. be resolved in the way that actually helps you. But I feel yeah. like a lot of us are cobbling together um, those coping mechanisms now, and I I wanted to kind of talk to you about that. What do you find working? 
um, as a woman of color yourself and for people that you talk to, to help us kind of get through it. Yeah. Not at all to be self-serving, but there's so much that I wish was available when I was going through this. And and by the way, as an entrepreneur, you still do. I mean, it's not like I became an entrepreneur and suddenly everyone was like, oh, you know, let me open the doors for you. I've been, again, overlooked, underestimated regularly. I mean, literally as of like one, two weeks ago, I've had experiences um, when Ijeoma Ulo and I were talking backstage before the launch last week, we shared some really ridiculous examples of how, like, I mean, she's a New York Times bestselling author. And we were talking about experiences where, you know, even she had definitely been, you know, underlo- overlooked and underestimated. So um, I think the number one thing is when I think about my contribution to this all, it is hopefully through, you know, my body of work and others is, I mean, this is not done in a silo by any stretch of the imagination, but hopefully finding your stories reflected, knowing that you're not alone, knowing that the, whatever you may hear in the workplace, like, no, no, we didn't mean it that way. I mean, I could, I have so many stories of what it was like to be in corporations where they were like, it's all in your head or no, that's just the way it's done here. Or maybe you can't deal with it, or maybe you're not strong enough. Maybe you're not smart enough. Like those sorts of invalidations, not, it's not a paper cut by the way, which I mean, again, the sort of white feminism, corporate feminism movement calls it, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. It's not, it's, it really feels like sometimes like a knife in your back all the time, quite a, quite a lot. I don't want to say all the time, but quite a lot. Um, so having resources that validate your experience, reading podcasts, I mean, communities like this, I think are really valuable. Um, and because I can think of a time where I needed it and I didn't have it. And then, so I started blaming myself. I started falling prey to, you know, all sorts of feelings of I'm not good enough, imposter syndrome, this idea of not belonging. It's something to do with me. If only I fill in the blank, you know, did this, I would be able to progress. I'd be able to cope with it better. Um, and, and having, you know, tools around that was really helpful the tribe, the community. Again, when I moved to Seattle nine years ago, it's it's a very white place. And a lot of the folks that I connected with initially and was sort of introduced to, everyone was white. And so when I would talk about my experiences, I could see I was making a lot of white people uncomfortable or like, oh, no, no, you know, even if they weren't part of the organization, they'd be like, no, no, no. I mean, that it wasn't that. I'm sure, I'm sure that wasn't what they meant. Um, and that white fragility, I mean, it, it is not, I, I don't think it's any surprise that Robin D'Angelo's work on white fragility, Ijeoma Ulo's work on So You Want to Talk About Race and Mediocre, all a lot of that generates from the Seattle, Washington area which is very white, very liberal. I never thought about that, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and 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 the reason why I bring that up is because the experience is even more toxic. Like I moved from before that I lived in Atlanta. I was a journalist, a business journalist in Atlanta. Before that I lived in New York and then I've lived in other countries around the world. Seattle is so specific and unique. It is liberal, right? We We've always voted blue for as long as I think, you know, there are records. And so because there is that sort of liberal umbrella, 
this the slights and that everyday racism, quote, casual racism, isn't fully explored or understood mm-hmm. or even even accepted. Yeah. So you really I think- are kind of like at the epicenter of white fragility. I just realized I visited Seattle and I didn't like it. Maybe you're articulating why. It's a but super I also tough place. It's like Park Slope, but bigger, way bigger. Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is like a super gentrified part of Brooklyn here in New York, um, where I am on the other side of the world. Yeah. I mean, kudos to you for staying there and fighting the good fight. (laughs) Back to the tribe. You need your tribe, you know. And so I started slowly building that because when you're going through this experience and experiences, you need a tribe. You need Mm -hmm. people to remind you that it's not just in your head. It's not just you. No, if you do more power poses, you're not going to just suddenly overcome those feelings that you're feeling. Um, mm. And and that became really important and meaningful for me. Thank you for reaffirming what I am always talking about. It's just, it's human beings, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got two, three, five hundred or just, you know, five people that you can kind of turn to for support. But it, you know, what made I remember when I was at my last, um, when I was a senior director at my last company, I recruited and she's still there. Her name's Ismet Mangla. I love her. Um, She was my assistant content director. And I remember I waited like six months to find her. And this was my secret vendetta was I knew I'd probably I knew that I was coming on five years and I was probably going to be leaving. And if I was, I just wanted to be sure that my successor, I was going to leave things equal. I wanted a woman of color. I did. Mm-hmm. So if Joe Biden was going to go out, you know, like he said, I'm going to go find a black female Supreme Court justice. I was like, I'm going to find a woman of color to replace me um, yes. unapologetically. I didn't yes. broadcast it, but I knew that's what I was doing. And yes. I just remember how less lonely I felt having Ismet there. And, you know, we shared a boss and, <clears throat> you know, he was well-meaning, but flawed. And so much of that crap became so much easier to deal with because Ismet was there, because I could chat about it. And, you know, I think that's what it's about. It's like the small things that happen on a day to day, not everything is like file a complaint worthy or quit your job worthy, but it does exhaust and, you know, just having a quick outlet to laugh about that or constantly just like, you know, well, now you can't do it anymore because you don't have cubicles. A lot of us are working at home, but just turning around because Ismet sat behind me and just kind of being like, did you see this show? And like having that bit of connection selfishly, that's why I went about building my team. So it was so chock full of diverse talent because I wasn't going to find that community at the company. I created it myself. And when I was doing that session with um, makers last week and talking about this particular session was about encouraging leadership and pursuing leadership opportunities. And I could start to hear you know, a couple of folks who had, who were very cynical about it. Like, ah, it seems like a lot of work. Are we really going to, you know, it seems like it's even harder to get to the top. So why should we try? Why bother trying? All I can do is point back to that time when I was able to create that team and say, that's why it's, it is hard and more challenging than it ought to be for talented folks to find those positions. But the impact that you can have, I mean, So I'm, if there, I can toot my own, I'm so proud of that, you know? Um, And I, I, it's one of the, I have to work on my responses for this too. Maybe you do too. You're in book tour mode, but I want to 
convince more women of color to go for those leadership opportunities, it's it's the hard thing to do. But the impact, like if you just think about what ripples you can create, you know, isn't that worth it? It's so worth it. it. And so worth it. And kudos to you for doing that. I also think what has happened all this while is that there is a sharp elbows mentality. Firstly, the way white supremacy and white capitalist patriarchy has pitted us against one another. So if you are from different communities of being a woman of color, a lot of women of color, especially um, newer immigrant women of color like myself, you know, immigrant women of color to this country, um, they don't associate with being women of color. You know, they don't, that Mm -hmm. social and political identity is one that many reject because of that concern of like, no, the way to get ahead and the way to achieve the American dream is to reject that solidarity, to reject my identity and to assimilate and integrate and uphold white supremacy and Mm. perpetuate anti-Blackness, frankly, in many cases too. And so I think really leaning hard into our social and political identity as women of color, showing up for one another, really advocating for one one another, because it takes so much of work to get to those leadership positions. And I suspect one of the reasons, apart from dealing with that BS day in and day out on the workplace side, is also not feeling like anyone has your back even within your own community, right? And I and I would love for us, more of us to band together and find ways to support women of color to get into these high positions. One of the one of the people I interviewed for the book, Erin Okuno, who is by the way based in the Seattle area, um, you know, is part of a group that really um supports women of color candidates running in in especially like school board and other state elections sort of mm. very meaningful positions of political power here in Washington state but making sure that there really is a group of women of color and some advocates and allies supporting those women of color to run because it's not just about money it's not just about fundraising it's not just about that it's about it's the entire it's the visibility process the communication all of that and then it's the emotional labor and support for you knowing that you're going to be again hyper scrutinized and invisible at the same time right women of color candidates here in Washington state some of the stories some of the few the few that I've actually spoken to in person have talked so much about experiencing such horrific, um, you know, uh, online abuse and scrutiny and even racism from the media and whatnot. Um, And you really need that tribe behind you saying, I believe in you, power on, you're doing this for us, whatever you need, we're here for you. So I hope this, this book also catalyzes that movement and that solidarity and camaraderie among women of color, different communities of women of color, as well as obviously, yeah, I know it's like, I, I want everything. I want all the things and yeah. who knows what's actually going to happen <laughs> and, you know, where it actually lands. But I really would like that too. It's that scarcity trap too. Like, oh, if mm-hmm. there's only a few of us at the top, there's only so many seats. So we have to yes. kind of compete. I could keep talking to Ruchika all day long, but let's take a quick break and we will be right back with more Brown Ambition. 
Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 BA fam. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. That's incredible. This is according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 150 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Okay, it's smart. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Just go to Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, we are back. And here is more of my conversation with Rachika Tolshian. I want to talk about even kind of a controversial topic that came up. I know I'm talking about my the makers a lot, but man, that's such a yeah. fun like focus group I get to chill out with every week. Mm-hmm. And one of the controversial things we discussed was I've been pretty um, – honest and open that in my career, one of my most meaningful um, mentors, allies, whatever you want to call him, was a white male Mm -hmm. at my company Mm -hmm. and how I benefited from his endorsement Mm -hmm. throughout my Mm -hmm. journey and how, and I encourage, because I feel like as, as black women, we tend to, we do find our tribe, we find our community. Those of us who are smart enough to do that, if you're not, if you haven't do it, you're, you're listening to Brown Ambition. So I feel like, you know, you're in the right place. You're doing something, (laughs) but (laughs) we, you know, if once we kind of find our people, you know, our community and people that we can commiserate with and just lean on for support, it's also important, I think, for us to be open to even diversifying the the people who can help us. And sometimes, of course, I mean, so much the people who have the privilege, um, my former uh, boss, for example, him recognizing his influence and then helping me and guiding me and kind of offering, you know, speaking my name in rooms that he was in. I can acknowledge that that was a reason I was able to advance. I mean, of course, I did the great work, but having that endorsement, I realized the power in that. Mm. And I always, I so I want to encourage women, um, and I'll get your take on this too, that, you know, even if you're not in a company where the people with the power and privilege are recognizing that they should reach down and pull us up, that you are open to the idea of reaching up or reaching over to even diversify your, um, you know, your bench of sponsors and allies, people who could potentially help you advance. And 
unfortunately, the math is not in our favor. A lot of them don't look like us. So, mm-hmm. you know, what, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Is that am I I don't know. Am I going to get canceled for saying that? You're a hundred percent right. I okay, absolutely because I won't edit it out now. If you say I'm <laughs> no, not, don't. No, and 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 by the way, we should we can and we totally should have different points of view as well. There's no one path to success, especially for women of color, because we are creating it You're as so we right. walk it. You're I mean, so we are right. literally we are literally flying the plane as we're building it. Right, we're building and flying at the same time because right now there's there's very little, there's like a very little runway. Right, we've not really seen much or nearly enough. Mm-hmm. And no, I think I mean. Again, the reason why I felt this book was so necessary and urgent is because if more people with privilege and power, white male privilege, socioeconomic privilege, cis male privilege, would turn around and say, actually, where do I have, you know, influence? Where are the rooms where my voice is heard and reverberates? And whose names can I speak? If more men could do that, if more white men could do that, the world would look so different because they do that for each other, mm-hmm. right? Research on sponsorship finds three quarters of white men uh, or, or of sponsors um, sponsor people of the same race and gender as them. So if you're going to be a white man and you're in a position where you can sponsor someone, you can speak someone's name, you know, we should really have this person do this top job or get promoted or, you know, lead the big leadership meeting three out of four times, that's going to be someone of the same race and gender as them. So you do have to disrupt the way more of us have been conditioned. Some say hardwired. Uh, We know race is a social construct, but still in many ways, we have been hardwired to prefer sameness. And as we have evolved as a society, sameness has meant race and gender, which is ridiculous because if you actually look at it from a scientific and a DNA standpoint, it's like negligible, right? The differences are negligible. Um, but I, but what I've found is without that awareness, without that intentionality, it's, it's not going to change. And therefore I'm less, my, my focus and the sort of what I'm trying to build is less around women of color, um, should reach up and find the sponsor. I, I do, I think it's necessary where you have that, um, ability to do so where there are opportunities to connect. And therefore, some of what I recommend in the book is make sure as an organization or as a leader, you do have opportunities to connect people at different levels, off different backgrounds, make sure they're they're in each other's orbit so that those relationships can happen. And my focus is much more on the systemic, you know, how can white male leaders or white women leaders make sure that they are also amplifying and sponsoring and making room and giving credit to women of color. Because mm. that's something that's missing in the pie. I think a lot of it is, you know, when I used to come in and speak about women's leadership, which now I do very carefully and thoughtfully, before it was like, yes, anyone who will have me, I'll come in. And now when I do it, I'm very careful not to go into the blame of like, you need to do this and you need to try and get a meeting with this person, that person. I mean, I remember how hard I hustled when I started Candor. I remember how many people I tried to make connections with to try and sponsor me, people in positions of power and leadership, and how many turned away from me. And it was one 
very specific example of a white man at a very well-known organization who literally bad for me, literally, literally mm -hmm. went against a lot of the structures that were set up in the organization that did not want me to engage with them. He literally went to bat for me. He literally went and said, I will only work with Ruchika. I will only work with Kander. You have to figure this out on your end. Yeah, we need a hundred million you need. more of those. Yes, we do. <laughs> we we do. do. And you're absolutely right. It is. And this is why I kind of feel like mailing a copy of this book to every or even not even mailing, but I feel like as a litmus test for anyone interviewing for a job, ask them if they've heard of Ruchika's book and if it's, oh. on, the, if it's on the desk of the CEO. <laughs> and, Thank you. And if the answer is yes, and that's probably a safe space for you to, to go to work. And what I love in, in my work recently has it's become – it's become cool now to quit and stuff, but like mm -hmm. I was doing it way before. And so were you <laughs> <laughs> quitting places where things were just where there was a ceiling instead of waiting for the ceiling to move. And like I said, for some of us, it's like we don't have time to wait for them to catch up to us. Like we have families, we have generational poverty, we may have, you know, families relying on us, family members mm -hmm. relying on us for mm -hmm. children. We're just our damn selves. We just want to have a nice life, okay? We want to have the yes. infinite washer dryer. We want to DoorDash on the weekends. Like, we want to get the nice bottle of wine from the top shelf, not the bottom, where it's like $7. You know what I mean? That's fine. So You're speaking my love language. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and for us, you know, it's okay to leave a place where you don't have the support. But what I don't want people to feel like is there's not places where you can be supported. It just mm. is a higher bar. It's a higher bar. And that's why it's more important for us than ever to talk to one another. Where are you happy? Where have you been happy to work? And how can I scoop you up and bring you over here? Mm -hmm. You know, and I loved my last, I actually really loved the place I worked for for five years. It was a wonderful place. And every, I was like, come get this money, y'all. Come on. I'm going to get you some equity. They got sign-on bonuses. Like I wanted to help other people build wealth in my own little small way. So yeah, I, I, I generally feel optimistic as much as there's plenty to be cynical about and plenty to be pessimistic about. Um, I generally do have hope um, for things for women of color in corporate America that things will keep incrementally improving um, at the same time. Like I agree with you that um, we have to sometimes move things in our favor a little bit quicker because we just can't wait for everyone to catch up. Um, and make these these changes are not necessarily immediate quick fixes, you know, how to become a more inclusive workplace, um, right? I mean, they're going to take time. So if it's not there yet, it's go on and get out and go somewhere where it's fine, you know? Absolutely. You better. should go literally that. I mean, during the whole Nicole Hannah-Jones saga, I kept seeing Ugh. this quote yeah. again and again, right? Go where you are celebrated, not just tolerated, and in mm. some cases, not even tolerated. I think that is a very important piece of advice to keep top of mind. And I think because women of color are expected to be grateful, to be, you know, fill in the blank here, like whatever the word is, you know, submissive or um, grateful or like, oh, I'm just so, gr I'm just so thankful that like someone would give me a job. We're supposed to just be okay with crappy conditions? Absolutely not. 
Um, and I and I understand I understand and I recognize and acknowledge the privilege inherent in that statement, which is why I understand like this is not you know I wish that I wish that every single person and I and I envision a world and I want to be optimistic for a world where every single person has the opportunity to do that for themselves. I do think that there are a lot of people in between where there is an opportunity to move to better and greater things and you or the way that you've been conditioned holds you back. Mm. And and I and I really hope that for folks listening to this you really sit down and think what are the ways that I can make my dreams come true because you know life is life is short. We we know life is really precious. The time we're living in right now is absolutely wild in a in a not good way right so yeah how can you make your dreams come true it's so hard and I love that you pointed that out because sometimes it's not like any one person sat you down and said you're not gonna go anywhere you're not gonna be anybody it's never that easy to pinpoint that was the person so often it's like us being conditioned and then us wielding that abuse toward ourselves Mm -hmm. and like the Mm -hmm. verbal abuse the you know holding yourself back and how to unlearn that I'm like Add to that community your therapist, your career coach, your mentors, whatever you need. I feel like we're never that self-doubt, that kind of nefarious, noxious gas of self-doubt that we just kind of, I don't know, I personally feel like I have a cloud. I'm just always trying to keep it at bay. And I've just kind of made peace. It's not that it's not going to go away. It's just I have to, you know, call it what it is and recognize it and then just like shoo it away to get through the next thing. Um, and I, I want that. And especially if you're ambitious, like we are, the, you're just, it's just, the things are only going to get more challenging. That's what we want, right? More challenging, more scary, more opportunity for doubt to creep in. And it's like, how do we unlearn all of that? How do we channel it? Right? I think there's unlearn. And then there's also, how do you challenge it and, and, and challenge it and channel it? You know, Mm. because the other thing for me, and this is a little more cultural, but growing up outside the United States, the one thing people will say in common in general about Americans outside of America is um, people will talk about this amazing confidence that Americans have or the American culture, which we know, like white American culture, like there's a, you know, what is culture, but there's a there's this perception that to make it here you got to be really got to scream from the rooftops you got to be really comfortable self promoting and you got to show up a very certain way which largely is you know essentially like a typical white guy right like uh, I know what I'm doing and I have all the answers and I actually think why not as we think about building a better workplace and getting more women of color into senior leadership positions why not create more leadership styles. Why not say it's completely Mm. okay to be, you can totally be a leader and be more quiet and more thoughtful and more introverted. Um, You may, I'm, I'm extremely uncomfortable with self-promotion this last week. And, you know, the, the, the weeks leading up to this book, and then some of the things I have coming down the pike for me are very difficult. They really, and it's the the self doubt is less like I'm not good enough or I'm I don't feel confident in my abilities I do, but it's this is just not the way that I feel comfortable sharing this. I'm a writer, so 
where I feel comfortable sitting down and writing the thing. And then, and then that's it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get up and talk about how wonderful I am. Um, but it's not because I don't think I'm wonderful. It's because this isn't my medium. This isn't the way that I do it. And so why not, as we reimagine workplaces for women of color and leadership for women of color, I would love to have different styles. I would love for it to be completely acceptable for someone to be like, you know, I don't want to self-promote and I'm not going to do it this way. And then for someone who feels very comfortable self-promoting, they do it that way. And that's totally fine and acceptable too. And then it's less about, am I confident or not? What do I do to get rid of my self-doubt? All of those. And it's more about how do I channel this in a healthy way to do the things and make my dreams come true? Yeah. Or, and I'll just add to that, as leaders, recognizing the varied personalities on your team and what various individuals may need to be their best. That was the emotional, invisible labor of being a manager that I don't think is taught, is recognizing how many different people need different styles. And I had to force myself to learn how to help them thrive. Mm -hmm. And everyone is a little bit different. And it was when I realized how much work that was, I was like, oh, no wonder they don't do this because it's a lot of extra work on me thinking of different ways to communicate and how to host this and how to make, you know, it was worthy work. But yeah, I would challenge that to to managers to recognize that just because someone in a meeting or someone's personality is a different style, that they may need something else, something more, something less than what other people have in order to get the best out of them. And that we should be supported, you know, in our work environments to, to kind of succeed in our in our own styles, like just like you were saying. Um, Rashika Toljian, I could talk to you all day. We all can day. talk all day. I've had day. such a I've really I've I've loved this conversation so much. Thank you so much for joining Brown Ambition. I wish we had more time, but I, I know you have probably way bigger fish and media to fry um and or uh, maybe just a, a good nice nap um is also a worthy endeavor at this the point. nap probably is just... where <laughs> i'm probably gonna head i mean mandy i love i love our conversation and i love being in community because at the end of the day that feeling of being valued of being seen of not you know of not being asked immediately like what are 10 things we can do immediately now to become more inclusive um, which is which is sometimes or which is a lot of the conversation I'm having with more legacy and white red and white run media um, is really special. Like to be able to have this conversation yeah. and just say, hey, here's how it feels. And this is what it, you know, this is what we go through. And this is how we cope. And this is how we celebrate each other. And here's how we feel joy and optimism. I mean, that's what's so special about this experience. And I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for joining Brown Ambition. You guys have to go get a copy of Rachika's book, Inclusion on Purpose. It is out now. It's going to let's give bestseller vibes, okay? Bestseller sprinkles of magic. And if you are someone working in in corporate America, buy this book, take it to work with you, you. leave a copy on whosoever desk where that may be read and they may need to see it. <laughs> um, invite, I mean, Rachika, where can people find you to to get candor, to get your amazing insights? I mean, to to potentially work with you, go to your website, yes. tell tell us where to go. Where can I Thank find you. you? I'm very active on Twitter and my handle is rtulshian, so R-T-U-L-S-H-Y-A-N. 
If you want to check out my website, it's inclusiononpurpose.co, so .co, and that will lead you directly to my website. It's very easy to get in contact with me. And my hope is, you know, with this book, um, and, you know, longer conversation for another day, but my hope with this book is that more people, more women of color know that they can write books, that their voices are valued and heard. Um, I, you know, who knows how this book will do, but I would love to see more women of color become best-selling authors so that the publishing industry doesn't turn us away and say, you know, I mean, 90% of books published are written by white authors. And so I really hope that we can all co-create a different future together. Was that message just for me, Ruchika? Yes. I'm working on it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm going to do it. Do it. And you're speaking any to way me. I can support, any way I can support truly, um, but anything that I can do to support you, I'm here. I'm cheering you on. Thank you. You're extraordinary. And I can't wait to talk to you again. I'm, I feel like if I keep doing what I'm doing right in life, I'll just find myself in your circle and in your world and it'll all be wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your point of view, sharing your time, sharing your energy with us. Y'all definitely go check out Rachika's book. Again, it's Inclusion on Purpose. It is out now. We will have a link to the book in the show notes so you can pick up your copy and more for your friends and family and coworkers. Rachika, all the best. Thank okay. you. Good luck. Thank you so much. And to you too. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market rookie real estate or money podcast the purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties the bigger pockets podcast on youtube or wherever you listen